thank you for tuning in to this JLL Perspectives podcast. I'm Rebecca Kent, your host, continuing to cover the massive implications of COVID-19 on the real estate sector and how it is engaging with the broader business community. Joining me on this podcast is Richard Fennell, JLL's Head of Property and Asset Management, and Sarah Philipson, a Senior Associate at the law firm Norton Rose Fulbright. Over the next 15 minutes or so, we'll discuss how the landlord-tenant relationship has been playing out amid all the upheaval. How have they engaged? Are they shouldering the financial impact fairly? Are there enough safeguards in place? And most importantly, what are we learning from it all? So Richard, I'll start with you. The challenge thrown up by COVID-19 from a landlord-tenant perspective is not just about who's going to pay the rent, is it? Oh, it's uh, there are many hurdles in this, it started out in the context of how to manage exposure, cleaning tenancies and managing that and social distancing and all those things through to now the questions of financial viability and and how tenants uh, can continue to operate and pay their rent. And then it'll be into how do they come back to operating in 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 the next phase of of re-establishing business just generally. So across all that spectrum we've had to alter all the things we're doing uh, to cope with all the changes that are going on uh, around COVID-19 and processes put in place uh, for the government uh, and for for businesses operating in our retail properties or office properties or industrial ones. And what has surprised you the most about the way some of our um, customers and clients have reacted so far, or even the way the government has acted so far? Uh, I think what's surprised uh, first and foremost is is the government's uh, stepping into the relationship between the tenant and the landlord to the extent that they have. Uh, with our global network, I've not seen that same level of government intervention. Certainly, it wasn't something that occurred in, in China or, or in other places uh, where the government has more been focused on health and well-being, you know, putting in place structures to ensure social distancing, cleaning or safety. The government's jumped really quickly into getting in between landlord and tenant in terms of rent and things like that, which is kind of unique in Australia. And Sarah, perhaps you can tell us from your clients' perspectives what um, some of the biggest challenges they have been facing. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, we act for landlords and tenants alike um, at Norton Rose, but um, I particularly act for a number of retail tenants. And retail, as we know, has has been quite significantly impacted by by the pandemic. Um, I guess uh, as for specific scenarios from a tenant perspective, it varies. You know, um, the, the main thing, as Richard alluded to, is that there has been in most cases, a reduction in turnover. Um, for a lot of smaller tenants, that means an inability to pay rent at all. I guess what I do now understand from talking to a lot of tenant clients is any of them who have sort of hit that 30% reduction and are eligible for the JobKeeper and some of the other government incentives, um, they're struggling, they're fighting to continue to operate. So they're, they're at that point once they hit that incentive mark. 
Sarah, what has the value of the lease and lease terms been amidst all of this? Yeah, look, sort of when when the when the crisis first started, there was a lot of scrambling, looking at the terms of leases, um, looking at what the documents said about particular instances like this, looking at how landlords and tenants could rely on those terms, um, and I guess the short answer was there wasn't a lot contained in many of the leases. Um, you know, it would be unusual to see specific rent abatement rights or termination rights flowing from a, a health pandemic of this nature. Um, it's just something that, you know, we all haven't seen in our working lifetime and I suppose not something that's specifically contemplated when putting lease agreements together. Um, that's a general and a general comment. Um, so look, at that time, on the retail tenant front and the landlord front, there was a lot of looking to other legal concepts like force majeure clauses and frustration. Um, but ultimately, look, we found a lot of those weren't run to ground, even if they were valid arguments, because overwhelmingly it seems that tenants want to continue to trade. They want to stay, you know, they want to get through the pandemic, get through to the other side. They've just acknowledged that they need a bit of financial assistance to do it. So. Um, in most cases, those sorts of arguments went out the window and it was just, okay, let's get, let's get together, let's discuss this commercially. And Richard, have you been privy to any sort of innovative engagements between landlord and tenant? I know landlords and tenants have dealt with this in various ways. It's hard to really get innovative about paying rent. It's, um, it's not really a, an, an easy place to innovate in because many of our clients have bills that they have to pay too. Um, so it's kind of, I think that's where the complexity of this whole thing lies is that there's many landlords that are, that are equally impacted by what's going on as there are retailers. And so we, we kind of have focused really on what that means for the retailer, but there's landlords that have had their clients that have invested with them say to them, look, we've got to get our money out. We've got it. We, we've got problems as well. The National Cabinet has released a, a code of conduct, which I guess sets the parameters for how some of those engagements um, should go in. And you've also written a playbook on the back of that. The code only applies to certain groups. It only applies to small to medium enterprises that have less than $50 million in, in revenue or turnover. And part of that requires them to go to JobKeeper and validate through their BAS statements and their GSC statements that they've had a revenue drop. And then that percentage revenue drop is the amount that they get in terms of relief, either through waiver or, or deferment. So they've either got the code to fall back to or they can have a discussion and try and come up with a mutually beneficial deal. Um, for them. We've had everybody asking questions and I suppose until the code um, was introduced just prior to Easter um, and whether it applies to a particular group or not, there wasn't really any specific guidelines that people were looking to follow. Um, it was all just open to commercial discussion. And I suppose a lot of parties that we've been dealing with, landlords and tenants, have just sort of been sitting on their hands and waiting while there has been a lot of engagement, um, at which, which we have seen and we have heard about. Um, they've just been sitting, we're sitting waiting before putting anything firm in place because it, it's, it's a matter of, I guess, what government um, initiatives 
both parties have on offer as to how far they can go with the agreement. There's no clear winners from this, no matter what industry you're in. Um, there's sort of a middle ground to be met and, and no one's going to necessarily come out of it happy, but it's sort of what sort of level both parties can agree and that will be different uh, depending on the industry and depending on the landlord and tenant. What are some of the firm foundations that companies who are likely to come out of this okay better than others, what will they have done differently? Um, that's a really good question. I think a lot of retail tenants uh, that I'm talking to that, that are eligible under the code, which, which isn't all of them as we know with the turnover thresholds, um, will need to rely on the, the rent deferral and waiver procedures. And, and I think a lot of them have just had to be um, quite creative in how they continue to, to generate some level of turnover over this period. Um, I mean, I've read a lot of examples about um, tenants who, you know, ha have reduced their staff numbers, so those costs have minimised and, and because of that, they're not actually doing too poorly overall. And Richard, we had a conversation earlier and you were talking about office landlords trying to minimise costs by shutting down parts of a building that aren't being used and, and, and that sort of thing. Oh, without a doubt. We should be looking at all the things that are non-essential that we can turn off. Um, you know, we started very early looking at things like end-of-trip facilities that no one was using and, and areas that we could turn off that also represented a risk, you know, um, wet areas and like that sort of thing where you're in close proximity were clearly going to be areas that we were needing to shut down. So. Things like that, we, we recommended to our clients pretty quickly to, to put a hold on them. Um, cleaning windows when people aren't in buildings and not looking out them is not really a, an essential requirement, for example. Things like that, uh, absolutely. Um, and that's good for the tenants as much as it is for the landlord because in many cases, leases are net and the costs that we save get passed on to the tenants. And even in the context of gross leases, uh, there's, there's an important saving that comes through there that will allow the landlord financially to provide more relief as well. So, you know, it has to, it has to happen at all, all levels. There must be something that landlords and tenants are learning about each other throughout this very pressurised current circumstances. What do you think they are? I think in any um, highly stressful and emotional situation, which a lot of lot of parties are, are in at the moment, like you say, there's always um, a lot that, that people are going to learn about the relationship they have and how strong it is and perhaps if they want to continue it once this crisis is over. Um, so, you know, just, just talking from a tenant perspective again to a lot of tenants that I've been speaking to, um, there, there's a lot of that, the true colours coming through. A willingness to collaborate, a willingness to to, to talk, um, to talk through the issues of, of what both parties are, are feeling. Um, I think those are the, the things that we've seen from the outset, um, just because that's the stage we're at. Um, what about with the, the fundamental sort of structure of, of leases um, and, and some of the liabilities and, and, and who shoulders some of those liabilities? I mean, do you think that's likely to change much more going forward? From a legal documentation perspective, um, I think we're going to enter a time where there's going to be some shifts in how we look at some of those things. Um, I guess, I guess from the outset, um, you'd be looking um, 
you know, after any sort of economic crisis that that has occurred, that um, there will be different ways, uh, there will be different calculations to rent initially. Um, there might be different levels of security requested under leases for parties to get comfort comfortable with particular arrangements, um, you know, lease terms may be different, there might be early break clauses, like there's any number of things I guess that people could be turning their minds to given the event that we've been through. Um, and look, I also think in the immediate future there will be a fair bit of scrutinising over legal drafting to specifically deal with um, rent abatement rights or rent deferral rights following a pandemic of this nature or for a world for a health um, issue. Um, you know, and, and that might go on for a little while. And Richard, you spoke about government intervention and, you know, and the property industry seeing that on another level. Do you think moving forward there might be perhaps some more scope for government intervention? I think the thing that we've got to be really careful with is that there are the vast majority of this property that tenants, you know, occupy uh, are owned by investors and those investors are actually many of the superannuation funds and other vehicles that are actually everybody in Australia's money. Um, and so you have to be really careful when we start saying that we're going to build in all these factors of break clauses and termination rights and all that sort of thing. What happens there is that that investors don't invest in that in that space. We build so many so many risks into it that they decide that that's not where they want to invest and so you don't get new office buildings and you don't get new shopping centers and you don't get those things and that then that holds us back because um, it is a choice you know a choice fundamentally investors invest because they expect to get paid rent and uh, tenants occupy space because they expect to have a business that they can trade neither of those two actually sign up to operate each other's business. Um, so we've got to be careful and I, I get concerned about, you know, greater levels of government intervention or discussions about how we can transfer risk between parties. Just one last question before we wrap up the podcast. I'm interested to know one change that you would welcome once normality has resumed with respect to the the landlord tenant relationship i think we we, we really need to have a a, a customer mindset and, and tenants are tenants are customers as well and and um and in that sense we we've got to have that mindset going forward and 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 that's important i think also that also means that going forward the, the tenants need to recognise that that they're getting a service and and uh, and what that comes with, you know, what what they're buying, um, and uh, uh, to Sarah's you know point before about seeing the true colours. I think these relationships last for a long time, and uh, and they should be approached. You know, we sign leases for long periods, and good relationships. Uh, are worked on and, and managed and take effort. I think that underpins the whole relationship like Richard was talking about. I mean, um, yes, there is two, two separate businesses running and um, from a tenant's perspective, there's a lot of business risks they take when they, they open up a shop or they go into a premises. Um, but collaboration and communication, I think, um, 
regardless of, of the crisis situation that we're dealing with is key. Richard and Sarah, thanks very much for joining me on this podcast. Um, all the best with, um, with how things unfold. Thanks very much, Rebecca. Thank you.